0: We're going to go to the book of Joel tonight. In your Old Testament, the book of Joel. Um, you can go to the book of Daniel and take a right. It's just a little ways over there from that. The book of Joel in chapter number 2. appreciate the music around here. I certainly do. As Brother Andrew led singing. I thought he was going to lead singing and go ahead and preach too. I didn't know there for Amen. a minute. Amen. I'll just go sit out there and listen to him for a while. Amen. Amen. God deserves our praise, doesn't he? He does. He deserves our praise. Sometimes we just have to be encouraged to do that a little bit. I appreciate his encouragement even to us tonight. Joel chapter 2. Look down at verse number 15. And if you'll follow along, I'm going to read not a lot, but I'm going to read down four ways uh, as we get in before we get into the message. Joel chapter 2 and verse number 15. The Bible says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast, let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priest, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach. That the heathen should rule over them, wherefore wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith, and I will be and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. But I will remove far off from you the northern army, and will drive him into a land barren and desolate, with his face toward the east sea, and his hinder part toward the utmost sea, and his stink shall come up, and his ill savor shall come up, because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit. The fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain, in the first month. And the floor shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the cankerworm and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army, which I sent among you, and ye shall eat in plenty, and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, that hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed." I like that my people shall never be ashamed anyone that would be ashamed of a God that saved their soul there's they have a heart problem that's not the message but that's very very good anyway Um, I want to preach tonight on this subject the promise of revival we have a great God we do and he's still all-powerful And He can revive us if we meet the standard. Let's pray and we'll get going. Father, I need Your help. I've asked for it, but I'm asking for it again. I need Your help. I need Your guidance. I need Your power. That unction that can only come from You. And I pray, Lord, that even early here in the sermon, this message, that You would arrest the attention of Your people. Lord, that you do in the hearts and lives of people those things only you can do. We we need something from you. We we need, as a church, as a body, as a church family, we need revival. And Father, I pray that you'd speak to us tonight, Lord, and start something in us that only only you can take the credit for. Father, we, we ask for your help. We're trusting you to do what we can. Pray for your power and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing for the reading of the Word of God. And please do be seated. The prophet Joel awoke one morning, as did everyone else in his nation, emerging from his home to look upon a cenit utter devastation as far as the eye could see in any direction the land had been ravished by successive waves of great plagues of locusts the scene was just as bitter and just as shocking uh, as that following any natural disaster or even a scene of war uh, the once green fields that were out there had been reduced to barren wasteland uh, barns which only weeks before had been well stocked with grain had been emptied, uh, cattle uh, bawled in the fields because they had nothing to eat. So virtually overnight, a nation had been brought to the brink of bankruptcy and starvation. And as uh, Joel looked things over, the Spirit of God began to move upon his heart. And suddenly the scene of Israel's present distress gave way to a scene far worse than that which was before him. With spirit-enabled eyes of a prophet, Joel looked across the centuries to a period, a period called the Day of the Lord. And it's described in the first few verses of this chapter as a day of darkness, a day of gloominess. That day too will come upon Israel as a day of utter desolation caused not by nature, but caused by nations, a great multinational coalition of armies, of which Joel writes that nothing shall escape them. I believe we can begin to see it taking shape in our world today. It's, it's happening. And as the army advances, it's going to leave behind a path of uh, utter destruction. And, and while the international community, uh, community lodges it's very feeble protest. It will appear as if the nation of Israel will be destroyed and the Jewish people will be exterminated once and for all. The prophecy of Joel is meant to prepare the Jews for that day. And when it comes, when that invading army out of the north descends upon the land and and threatens Israel with extin- extinction. The Jews will have Joel's prophecy to instruct them in what they are supposed to do. Uh, However, we must not think that these words apply only to the Jewish people. And they most certainly have application uh, to us today. What, What God expects of the Jews as his people, he expects of the United States Christians as his people. Okay, and let me say this just real quick because there's a lot going on. Um, the church has not taken place of God's people, the Jews. Spit that out again. The church has not taken place of Israel. It hasn't taken place. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's something going on out there and people teaching that, but that is not the case whatsoever. And that's definitely not what I'm trying to say. But really what God expects of his Jews as his people, he expects of us as Christians as his people. And this latter part of Joel chapter 2 describes for us a, a great revival that Israel's going to experience When the day of the Lord does come, the revival will be uh, conditioned upon the response of the Jews to Joel's message and following Joel's instructions, the nation will repent of their sins. They'll turn to the Lord. Uh, Then, then the Lord, uh, verse, let me see, verse, verse 18, then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. So then the Lord, Jehovah God, who is God, will be jealous for his land and his people. Then God will perform the mighty works of restoration and revival promised in the verses that follow. Uh, The revival which Israel will experience then is what our nation needs today. We need help today. The greatest need in the United States of America today is revival not lower gas prices i would welcome them but revival our greatest need is not to find a solution for the debt crisis our greatest need is not to find a way to balance our budget keep our nation out of bankruptcy It is not how to maintain our status as a superpower or even to keep China from emerging as the most powerful nation in the history of the world. Uh, It it isn't how to keep unemployment from topping what it is now or how to bring an end to the war on terror. The greatest need of America today is revival. And the key to America's revival is us. No, I'm talking to us. The key to America's revival is us that know the Lord, that have the answers of the book. That's the key. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, the Bible says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now, God did not say, if the heathen will humble themselves, he said, if my people, if my people will humble themselves. This prophecy, which will equip the Jews to experience the greatest revival in their history, can equip us for revival today. If churches like this one are willing to hear what it has to say. We have to hear God. We have to respond to God. We have to listen. And so it goes on after this with a call to assemble. Excuse me, this is the second time we read the command to blow the trumpet in Zion. The first trumpet was to sound an alarm. The alarm was to warn the nation of the coming invasion uh, out of the north. This trumpet that, that is blown now, it's a call to assemble. And Israel's response to this call will determine God's response to her invasion. Well, who's supposed to, who is this call extended to, preacher? What's extended to the people? Look at verse number 16. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, and those that suck the breast, let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber, and the bride out of her closet. So, uh, this is not a new thing. no, this plan here, it's not a new thing. No, it's not like God said, hmm, well, my plans haven't been working, so I need a plan B. And that didn't seem to work either, so maybe I ought to have a plan C also. No, 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 no. Because we can go back to the book of Numbers in chapter number 10 and verse 2. And the Bible says there, make two trumpets of silver that thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly. And when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves uh, to thee at the door of the tabernacle of my congregation. So anyway, all the people were to come together, one great congregation, listen to me, and none were to be excused. No, 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 none were to be excused because it talks about the elders, and it's a reference to age, I'm sure, the elderly, the senior citizen, those up in the years, the golden agers, whatever we might want to call them, it talks about the elders. Uh, And really, we can say that it's a reference to maturity. I mean, those who by virtue of their age and experience were leaders of the nation, certainly. And then it talks about children and infants. In other words, we can say this, in other words, entire families were to come. Uh, okay Uh, okay parents weren't excused they weren't to be excused because they had little children well you know i tell you it's really hard it's you know because you know i have these i have all these children uh god has always designed worship to be a family affair it's always to be a family affair Well, I know, but you know, you bring them in and and the way that, you know, you preach the Bible and all that. They they probably don't understand a whole lot. They probably understand a whole lot more than you think they do. Come on, because the very God that works on you, he can work on them too. Oh, absolutely so. No, no, God always designed for worship to be a family affair. The responsibilities of raising a family are not meant to keep us from the house of God. You you know, in my years of being in ministry, I've watched a lot of young mothers raise their children on their hip as they served at the house of God. Just because you have small children does not mean that you cannot serve at the house of God. Just because you have small children does not mean that you cannot come to the services of God. I'm telling you, we need to be here as families. Uh, our, Our children are not an excuse not to come to church. They really should be an excuse to be in church every time the doors are open so that they they might hear what God has to say. Oh, sure, absolutely, absolutely. But he also talks about newlyweds. I'm not sure. It talks about the bridegroom and the bride and the statement that may be interpreted in a couple of ways. This call was to be considered so urgent that maybe it would interrupt the wedding plans to attend I don't know or maybe it would interrupt the honeymoon to attend I don't know but he calls it you read it there with me you know and the bride out of the closet and then the bridegroom so I so I'm not sure the point is that none of us please get this the point is is that none should consider themselves exempt from this call to assemble ourselves together we shouldn't be looking for reasons not to come to church. We should be making reasons to come to church. Yeah. It's an important thing that we do. When the trumpet sounds, no responsibility, no obligation is to have a greater, uh, a greater priority than that of coming together to plead with the Lord for their homes and their lands and their families. I'm going to say that again. To plead with the Lord... Uh, Let let, let me take just a short time out here. You know, we have these mourner benches down here. That's what they called them years ago. Altars, we can call them that. We can use this for an altar, whatever. You, you know, it's not a bad idea every once in a while. You know, well, you know, I'd come to the altar, but God never speaks to me about anything. Well, that should worry you. I'll just go out stop that, throw that in real quick. That should worry if God never speaks to you about anything. But I'm not going there. I'm trying to make a point here. You know, every once in a while, it'd be good just to bring your family down here. No, no, no. Even if, you know, maybe it didn't pertain to you the exact message didn't pertain to you every once in a while may be good just to bring your family down here gather them around this altar and pray and beg god to use beg god to use them beg god to protect them beg god to save them whatever the case may be oh no no there is a god in heaven he oh he does hear prayers he does care about families he does care. No, no, he does care whether or not we make it or don't make it. Absolutely so. But we need to be willing to come and just plead with him at times Lord, help me. Help me to be what I'm supposed to be. Help my spouse to be what they're supposed to be. Guard my children. Put a hedge of protection about them. Uh, Call them to to your service, Lord. I mean, use them in a wonderful way even more than you've used me. Uh, Lord, will you just be with us? Will you guard my family and keep us going in the right way? I mean, every once in a while, it may be good just to bring your family and get around an altar and ask God to do something that only He can do. Amen that's good preaching if I am doing it, I guarantee you. To come to the house of God to plead with the Lord for their homes and for their land and for their families. Okay, okay, preacher, preacher, okay. Boy, brother, Marshall, preacher, I know where you're going with this. Yeah, yeah, you're trying to put us on some type of a guilt trip you know, about attending church. You're just trying to make us think that we're doing something wrong if we don't come to church every time the doors are open. But come on, preacher, we're not dealing with the same thing here, you know. I mean, these people, they're going to be in danger of losing their land and losing their homes and losing their families. I mean, even losing their very lives. And you mean to tell me that we're not? have you been listening to the news do you look around yourself every day at the at at the time that we're living you mean to tell me that you think your future is secure and your children are going to be fine and our nation's going to be okay if we just continue on the path that we're on without god that everything's just going to be hunky dory whether you seek the Lord or not. You, you seriously believe that? You really think that we're all doing just fine spiritually? Uh, Do you really think that Rick Warren and Joyce Myers and Joel Osteen and Andy Stanley and Ed White, I mean the men and women who are shaping really the vast majority of churches today with their pulpit psychology and wishy-washy theology and their pragmatic preaching are steering us toward revival? Is that what you think? Or preacher, I don't even know. I don't even know who most of those people are. Well, their finger, their fingerprints are all over the vast majority of the churches today as they move to rethink and to reinvent church. And contrary to the prevailing opinion, we do not need to rethink or reinvent church. What we need to do is we need to repent of the attitudes that we've allowed to creep into our hearts about this matter of assembling ourselves together to worship the Lord and adjust our lives to His Holy Word. That's what we need to do. Be looking unto Him. So what's expected of these people when they do arrive? Well, the approach of this assembly is to be marked by specific characteristics. Look at verse 16 again, the first part of that verse. Get to the people... Sanctify the congregation, so the people are to be gathered, and the first issue to be addressed is their sanctification. Their sanctification. Well, what's that all about? Well, the primary meaning of the word is to make clean, or, or to uh, or to set apart from that which is unclean. Come on, if we're going to separate ourselves, we separate ourselves to God from something. Right, and that's what it's talking about. So corporate worship, that's what we're here tonight for. Corporate worship is answering the call to withdraw from the corruption of this world and to draw near to a holy God. Hey. Come on, that's what we're here for. Uh, okay. uh, this isn't like going to a ball game. or <laughs> well, you got that right. No, it's, it's not like going to the movie theater. Uh, no, no, no. Coming to a church service is unlike any other thing in the world. No, no, if it's conducted correctly, because what we're doing is we're withdrawing from the wickedness of this world, come into this sanctuary, separated unto a holy God with great hopes that God will meet with us, that great hopes that God will speak to our heart with great hopes that God will cause us to repent of things in our life and help us to be everything that he would have us to be. Come on, that's what prompted the psalmist to say in Psalm 139 and verse 23 Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Come on, that's a pretty good thing to pray even before you come to a church service or even while you're sitting in a church service. Search me, O God. There's things in there. I know there's things in there that are sabotaging my walk with you. There's things in my life that need to be taken care of. I've got besetting sins in my life that keep me from being everything that you would have me to be. God, I've gotten to a place where I think I'm much smarter than you because I'm running my own life and not even asking you what I should do. Lord, I've gotten to a place where I think I can, I can direct my family better than you can because I really don't think they need to come to any extra Bible study or be here for Sunday school or Sunday Set underneath so much preaching i mean one day a week i mean one service a week shouldn't that just be plenty come on. Oh, come on. oh no 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 don't no no don't you look at me that way that is exactly no don't you yes, think sir. no don't you think no you you start making decisions beyond what god would have you to make and pretty soon you're just taking god's place come on. Good preaching right there. that's not a good place to be that's not going to work out well for you in the long run we should be asking God, search us, Lord, help us, Lord, cleanse us, Lord. Contrary to popular opinion, we do not come together to get God to accept where we are. No, 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 no. We come and ask, we come to ask God to reveal what we are and to change us to be what He wants us to be. You know, I I don't, these Bible preaching church, I don't like, I don't like to come here because I mean, you know, it's just everybody, it's, you know, that preacher gets up there and he just makes me feel bad. Well, it doesn't have to be the case. I said, that doesn't have to be the case. I'll say it one more time. That does not have to be the case if you're doing what God would have you to do. It doesn't have to be the case. I'm telling you, I need good, strong, strong, straight Bible preaching. That's what Bill Marshall needs, I promise you. And that's what most of God's people need. Because we need to understand that we're not exactly where God would have us to be. I'm thankful that God loves me for who I am. I'm thankful that he's never left me nor forsake me. I'm thankful that I can call upon him 24/7 and he's always there. I'm thankful that he gives me strength. I'm thankful he gives me grace. I'm thankful he shows me mercy all the time. But I'm here to tell you, no, no, I'm here to tell you none of us have arrived. None of us are where we need to be. All of us need some help, and it would be real good for us to acknowledge that we need some help. Because once we acknowledge that we need some help, then God is ready and He's there to help us. And, and, and get this, God never changes anyone's life for the worse. He always makes our life better. Yes, yes. Now as we follow Him, He always makes our life better. And he, he, no, no, he, he removes that which causes our misery and replaces it with that which brings joy. Praise God. Oh, come on. Don't you think the woman taken in adultery was glad Jesus didn't just pat her on the head and send her back to a life of adultery? I, I mean, don't you think the, the people at the church of Corinth, the Corinthian people were glad after, uh, the, uh, that after Jesus saved them, He didn't leave them enslaved to their immorality and their addictions and their greed-driven lifestyles out of that uh, out of out of uh, of which they came to Him? Don't you think they were thankful that God continued continued to send preachers to them to try to help them to overcome those things in their life? Don't you think that they were glad to learn that Jesus could clean all that junk out of their lives and genuinely make all things new? We're called together out of the world so that God can continue to clean us up and help us. But there's also an attitude of reverence because it says uh, uh, that it's a solemn assembly. Solemn assembly. The word reverence simply means to regard with respect. Respect. And whether we sing or pray or preach or whatever we might do, it should always be done with the proper respect for the one whom we have come to worship. Okay, I'll say, this. I'll, I'll, I'll say it again. I said it a minute ago, but I'll say it again. This isn't like going to a ball game or going to a movie theater theater or whatever the case is. No, 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 no. When we get, when we get down, when in, in this place we assemble together, it's not like we should just take it nonchalantly and run in and out and everything's going to be fine. Nobody cares. No, 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 no. We should be giving our attention to the one that we came to worship. Sure. Absolutely so. Somehow, I don't think coming to church and flip-flops and jamming to a mixture of pop rock and praise and worship music is truly conducive to preparing our hearts to reverence the Lord repent of our sins, yeah. you know, and experience a real change in our lives. Yeah. Treating it like going to the beach, you know. No, no, no. The evidence of modern Christianity certainly does not support that principle, does it? Right. On. No. Well, preacher, you think everybody has to wear a suit and tie? Not necessarily. I think that we should give God our best, though, don't you? Yeah. Come on. Well, you have some kind of dress code around here? No, but I'm telling you, I've come to meet with God. I dress the best I, 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 I have. I dress in the best I have. And others do, too. Well, you're going to look down on me if I don't? Let me stop you right there. I'm not going to look down on anybody because I don't have a right to look down on anybody. Well. We have a judge. He's sitting on his throne. He's the one. My, my, my great desire is to point people to him. I just want people to listen to him and whatever. No, no, no. Whatever he deals with you about. That's what I want you to do. Whatever God deals with you about. Absolutely so. It's a lot better when God does it, isn't it? Sure. No, no, no. I, I, just, I just want people to listen to the Lord. But I guarantee you these churches, you know, come as you are, leave as you were. And there's a lot of them out there. Mercy. I, when I come to church, I want to feel like I've been to church. No, no, when I come to church and, and, and sit and sing songs unto the Lord, I, I don't need somebody up here. No, no, no. I don't need some worship team up here jamming out and singing to me and make me. That's not in my notes. I probably should get back to my notes, shouldn't I? If I go to church somewhere, I want somebody to get up and preach the Bible to me. Open up the Bible and tell me what God has to say. I don't need a bunch of stories. I don't need a bunch of feel-good stuff. I need to know what God has to say about things. Sure. No, no, no. Reverencing God. Caring about God. And their main concern is to keep themselves and their nation from being a reproach to God. Look at verse 17 there. Let the priests and the ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, spare thy people, O Lord, and give uh, not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Therefore should they say among their people, excuse me, where is their God? You know, verse 17 there, stay with me, please. Verse 17 there, it, it, it paints a quite the picture. Because the focal point of this scene is the ministers of the Lord. And behind them, get this, get this, get this picture. And behind them is the altar. That's the place of sacrifice. And the place of sacrifice, that's a symbol of God's forgiveness. And the altar, to, uh, uh, the, the altar was to Israel what the cross is to us. And the cross was a place where the Lamb of God was slain for the sins of the world that we might be forgiven. And before them, get this now, before them is the porch of the Lord's house. That's where God's people are assembled. Their nation has been devastated. Many have already been wiped out by the invading army and the same fate awaits all of them unless the Lord comes to their defense. And get this, God instructs their ministers to ask Him, to ask God to spare His people. Not because, not because their lives are at stake, but because His reputation's at stake. The ministers are to pray, Lord, spare thy people, lest the heathen, those that have rejected you and don't know you, say, where is their God? God is concerned that people know that he exists, that he is real, and that his word is true. And while God does... um, Very graciously, while God, come on brain, while God very graciously does much which is for our good, his main concern is for his glory. We, his people, are to bring him honor and glory in the way in which we live with our lives. When the worship service is concluded and our lives continue after the worship service, our greatest concern is to be that what happens in our life afterwards should not be a reproach to God. Every time that I leave a church service, my hope, my desire is to leave a little closer to God. is to leave with the mindset that I want to please God in all that I do. Because if it's not that, come on, stay with me, because if it's not that, we just come and we listen and we go, and we come and we listen and we go, and we come and we listen, and nothing ever changes whatsoever. But we're coming to church over and over. And people know we're coming to church over and over. But nothing ever changes. What do you think those people are going to think about God. You know that dude, he goes to church. He's always talking about going to church. He's at church, man, all the time Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They had some special meeting. He was there every night of the week. It's crazy. And listen to the way he talks. Look at the way he acts. Look at his attitude toward authority. He tries to say he's some big Christian, whatever. Yeah, like there's a God in heaven even. Oh, come on. That's the point that he's trying to make here. That's the point God's trying to make here. You know how people are going to know? No, no, no. You know how people are going to best know how God is? By how we live. Declaring ourselves to be Christians. They're going to look at us. Well, I tell you, they have no right to believe. Let me stop it right there. No, no, no. You declare you're a Christian, that you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. They have all the right in the world to look at you. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And we're going to show them. We're going to show them God one way or another. We're going to show them that there is a God who's working in my life, or we're going to make them wonder if there really is a God. I'm saying it should matter to us what other people think about God. Because, no, listen, God is the only hope they have. He's the only hope you had, and once you come to know him, no, 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 all those people out there that don't know him, he's the only hope they have. Uh, uh, Let 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 me take just a moment. And look at the the remainder of these verses. Stay with me. We have to have confidence in true revival. In verse 18, God promises that if Israel responds as prescribed, he will respond to them in predictable ways. He says that he'll remove the threat of, of the invading army. He'll restore the fruitfulness of the land. He'll return to dwell among his people. And prophetically, all these things will come to pass. They will. During the tribulation period, Israel's going to turn to God. God's going to rescue the nations. It's going to be a wonderful time. At that decisive moment, the Lord Jesus will return. Somebody say amen. Amen. It's going to be a wonderful thing. When he comes back, he's going to destroy the Antichrist. He's going to bind the devil with a great chain, cast him into the bottomless pit, establish his kingdom in Israel. Just like the Bible says, and Israel will flourish again going to be an amazing scene i'm glad we get to be there Amen. it's going to be amazing it really is going to be amazing and what that verse holds forth in prophecy it also holds forth in principle stay with me i'm i'm, I'm we're getting close to the end i know you don't blame me but we really are because see god is anxious to save sinners I said he wants to save sinners. Save them from what? Their sin. He came to save us from our sin. He's anxious to send revival. No, I believe that. God is anxious to send revival. But the people of the United States of America, the believers of the United States of America, have gotten so nonchalant about their Christianity No, no, God looks at the heart. He's anxious to make a difference in your life and your family and this community and our nation, the difference between misery and joy. The difference between desolation and fruitfulness. And you and I hold the key to that kind of revival. Because if God sees repentance in us and a desire for right hearts in us and attitudes of reverence of, uh, in our worship and a commitment to His glory and the way that we live our lives after we leave the house of God, because it's pretty easy to act right in the house of God. He might just send revival. He just might pour out His Spirit and sweep this congregation with revival. We are 27 days out to the start of our revival meeting. 27 days. And I want to challenge you. Church, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to, in the next 27 days, to read the four gospels through. And you might be somewhere in your Bible reading, whatever, but I want to challenge you to read the four gospels through in the next 27 days. Oh, that's a lot of reading. It's going to take about three and a half chapters a day to read the four Gospels in 27 days. Three and a half chapters. You can go ahead and read four. You can finish early. It'll be amazing. Like something. But I'm going to ask you to do that and, and, and to ask God to speak to your heart every time before you start reading. Lord, do something in my heart, do something in my life, use your word. To make a change in the way I view things. Do something to help me not be so nonchalant about my Christianity. This book is powerful. And then number two, I'm going to ask you to give up something daily for the next 27 days. Give up something daily. What are you talking about? Well, pick one thing that seems to take a lot of your time and give that time to God. Spend with God. Talking with God. Give up something you really like. And every time you crave it, pray. Whatever it might be, give up sweets, give up... coffee <laughs> be a tough one give up soda pop give up television give up computer give up social media whatever and give more attention to God and prayer Amen. <clears throat> skip a meal or two if you're able to do that physically Without it hurting you, skip a meal or two. And give that time to God. And then number three, I'm going to ask you to pray for your church and for Brother Rodney Woodcock, or evangelist that's coming every day starting tomorrow all the way through our revival meeting. Pray for your church. Pray for your church. Lord, do something in our church. Start a fire in our church. Amen. Convict people in our church. Convict me. Help me. Whatever. Pray for our church. Pray for one another. Pray for our evangelists that's coming in. Lord, fill him with your power. Give him the exact message that I need that will change my life. Lord, Lord help him be prepared. I'm asking you to really get serious about seeking God. Well, preacher, it's not like I don't, you know, it's not like, you know, I care about God. I do. It's not like I don't. I I care about God. Okay, now look up here for just a second. Come on, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. But look up here for just a second. What what if I came to you privately, face-to-face, and just said this. Uh, tell me about your daily walk with God. What, what do you mean? Well, how you meet with God every day. Tell me about your daily walk with God, your, your time you, spent, you spend with God every day. Just, just tell me about that. Would you start scurrying to find an answer? would stop you in your tracks. Because we are supposed to have a daily walk with God, are we not? Come on. I'm, I'm your pastor. I'm the only one you got. I'm supposed to help you to walk with God. You know, those two days of work, that I, those two days a week that I work? Try to help you. Well, I don't think that's in your business. Oh, stop, 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 stop. Look, I, I, don't have whole, I don't have a whole lot of authority around here. But as, the, as your pastor, as the under shepherd, I do have the authority to ask you about your spiritual life. And that's not to hurt you or to shame you. Or to kick you? That's to help you. Amen. Yeah. Because I guarantee you, I'm done, I guarantee you that the better our daily walk with God is, the stronger we'll be. The more blessed we'll be. The more direction we'll have. And the more that we will bring honor and glory to Him the more we'll be a help to our family. The more we'll be a help to our church. It's just the right thing. Revival meeting starts 27 days. Let's get serious about our walk with God. Asking God to do something that only He can do during that meeting. Stand with me if you would. Please stand. Father, we're not going to have a show of hands. Lord, you've spoken to hearts tonight. There's needs represented as individuals, as couples, as families. There's needs in this place tonight. And the Lord needs that only you can meet. And as we open up the altar, our desire, Lord, is that uh, folks would respond to you. Maybe they don't even know what they need, but their walk with you isn't what it needs to be. I pray they'd come tonight and talk to you about that. You've got answers for them. Maybe their besetting sin has got a stronghold on them. I, I pray they'd come talk to you about that. Maybe they're not where they need to be in their relationship with you. Even though they know you, even though they're a believer, they've been saved by your grace, and, but their relationship with you and what it needs to be. I pray they'd come tonight and spend some time with you. Lord, help us to be determined for things to change, for things to be different, for us to be uh, more of a light that shines in this dark world, for us to have the power to overcome sins in our life, for us to depend upon you to make us what we need to be. Help us, dear God. Only you can do such a thing. We're trusting you for that. Bless this time of invitation. I pray that you will and ask these things in Jesus Christ's wonderful name. Amen and amen.